Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, you've probably already, uh, even without maybe much intentional thinking, filled out the rest of that phrase. If you saw the graphic at the beginning of this video, church is, you've completed that statement with a word or a phrase, something that comes to mind when you think of church. What is church? Is it a, an event? Is it a location, a, a place? Church means a lot of things to different people. Sometimes it, it elicits negative emotions, sometimes positive. Whatever you think of church, we have to also acknowledge that over these last five months, church has had a, and played a, a different role in our lives. For, for many congregations or churches, over the course of these five months, they've exclusively connected via video, online engagement. Others by now have some sort of a hybrid worship as God's people are, are gathering together again. And sadly, during that same time, some churches have permanently closed their doors. And all of that leads us to reflect on the role of the church in our lives today. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today and, and the next four weeks during this series, Church Is. We want to be able to fill in that, that blank with, with confidence and see its role in our lives today. Now, my own, my own personal prayer and, and hope over the course of these weeks is this. It's that church for you becomes less like your toothbrush and more like your phone. Now, I know that sounds like a weirdly specific prayer uh, to bring up to the Lord, and, and maybe I don't use those terms, but I'll use the, the point nonetheless when you think of, of your toothbrush, it really has just one purpose, doesn't it? One exclusive purpose, it's to brush your teeth. You don't go to your toothbrush for any other use. You don't use it to scrub the toilet. I hope you don't use it to scrub the grout in your tile. It's solely for brushing your teeth. You use it for that, and when you're done, you, you put it away. Many people view church that way. Church is what happens on Sunday morning or whatever day of the week that you worship, but that's really what church is. It's that, that one singular sole purpose and nothing else. But I hope that over the course of these weeks together, you see that the church is much more like your phone in this regard. It has so many uses and purposes. Think of what you use your phone for today. It doesn't just make phone calls. It sends messages. It's your personal assistant. It's your calendar. It's your camera. Uh, it's your photo album. It's your weather forecast. It, it's your window to, to any information you want on the Internet these days. Your phone does just about anything imaginable. And, and I want you to see that, that God's design and his plan for church is very similar, that if we only see it as a toothbrush, one sole purpose, then we are missing out so much of what God intends to do and accomplish and achieve in and through church. My challenge to you over the course of these weeks is to be open enough to be willing to review and, and assess what church is and what its role is in your life. Maybe there are, are some uh, who have never really had church on their radar at all, at any point in their lives. And that's okay. Now might be a great time to see, either to review it and, and know what you're missing out on, or, or you may draw the conclusion not missing out on. At the same time, if church has always been a part of your lives, if you've always been involved in, in a church, a local congregation, then, then my encouragement would be to you to still be open because it's sometimes that, that routine and that regularity that can blur the lines or lead us to forget 
what the role and purpose is. Because you have changed, and, and in some respects, church has changed from what it was years ago. So because of those changes, there's this constant need to see where it fits into my life. And maybe you're somewhere in between. Maybe, maybe you've had seasons of life where church has been really important to you, and then other, other chapters in your life where it hasn't been so significant. Still, now maybe is a good time to assess that and see if, if, if the church might have a more consistent role in your life. Today, we're going to focus specifically on who the church is, is for, and, and just disregard the, the bad grammar because there's no way to say that properly and, and have it still sound right when we're communicating. Who is the, the church for? Who are the people that, that are, are the church people? And you, you immediately think of certain descriptions, qualities of, of church people. Again, maybe positive, maybe negative for some of you. Maybe you think of, of the church being filled with hypocrites and let me be the first to, to acknowledge you and welcome you and say, yes, that, that is exactly what we are. And by that, I mean that we, as well as anybody, recognize that God has an expectation, a standard for living, and we want to strive for that and we want to encourage others to live that way. But we know, this might surprise you, that we fail miserably at living out that way. So yes, the, the church, like any other organization on this planet, has hypocrites. We, we know that we want to do and live one way, but we do and live another thing. That's the ongoing challenge. Maybe, maybe you have a different view. Maybe the, the people that you know who are connected with a church, regular church-going folks, are decent folks, good people, and you enjoy their company and, and working with them or having them in your community or neighborhood. Maybe, maybe that's gone so far, you have such a, a, a good view or impression of them that you feel like you could never fit in among that because of your track record, because of, uh, of a past that's maybe a little shady uh, or outright something you're embarrassed of, and you feel, and maybe even joke about, never being able to step inside a church because of the fear of lightning striking. Wherever you are on that spectrum, Today, our, our goal is to, to find out really who is church for. And the one who's going to, to take us there to show us uh, the answer to that statement is a man named Paul who wrote the, the letter that we call the book of, of Romans. And Paul's very well suited to provide us with that answer because Paul was really, we could think of him as, as being a part of, of two of the most perhaps polarizing, differently unique churches that ever existed. In, in his childhood up to a, an early part of his life, Paul was a part of a church that was really based on rules and regulations and last names and lineage. The emphasis of that church that Paul belonged to was really how you live, who you know, and, and what kind of impression you're making amongst others. That if you're doing your best, then then that is what establishes your relationship with God. And, and this church, so to speak, would have been made up of people we call the Jewish people. People of the Jewish faith, with, which simply just means that they could trace their ancestry back to one of the, the tribes of Israel, which is a part of, yes, modern-day Israel. So those are the, the Jewish people, and that's the church that, that Paul initially belonged to back when his name was actually something different. It was Saul early on. And then there is everybody else outside of that church, and there's a name for those, and that name is Gentiles. So if you aren't a Jewish person, then you are a Gentile. That's everybody else. And in fact, 
for a part of his life, Paul was such a, a zealous member of that, that early church that, that he persecuted and hunted down the Gentiles, anybody outside of his church that believed or taught or preached a different message, particularly the message that Jesus was the Savior of all people. And it wasn't until he had a very unique experience that, that God came to, to Saul, changed his name to Paul, that Paul realized something different, something profound. The church is for everyone. And if the church is for everyone, then that means the church is for you. Really, that's what Paul is getting at in these verses from Romans today. But admittedly, it's kind of a, a little bit of a challenge to grasp what he's saying. So I'm, I'm going to hopefully tell a, a bit of a modern-day parable to help us grasp it a little bit. Imagine uh, an individual, uh, uh, a man that wants to start his own business, and he wants to do everything the right way. He's got a great business model, great idea, and, and his, his company, his business is is going to, to potentially really take off. So he needs to start hiring people. And he wants to do it right and take care of his employees. So he compensates them extremely well. They have just out-of-this-world benefits. Uh, vacation time, family time, very understanding. The, the work environment couldn't be better. This is the place to work. In fact, if this uh, existed in the, the time of our ratings today, it would be ranked number one year after year of the best companies to work for, the best places to work. And his employees loved it. They, they were so well taken care of, and that was obvious as they looked at, at what others had. Yet over time, eventually, they took it for granted. It wasn't as if their, their boss had changed at all or their compensation or anything had, had changed. They just kind of found themselves wondering what it was like to work for another company, what it was like to have a, a different type of, of boss or, and compensation plan. And so eventually, out of either curiosity or indifference toward their current job, they, they left. Well, that, mean, that meant that, that the boss then had to find other employees. And so he hired in a, a new group of workers who were elated to be able to work for this company. They realized how good it was. They never thought they'd get a job there, and yet he hired them on the spot, and they were thrilled to work for him. Some more time passes, and now that first crop of employees, the first ones hired by the man, who are now working for various companies or organizations, look back at that company, and they compare it to where they're at, and they see how good the employees have it there they long for those days. They're jealous. They're envious of, of working, and they're frustrated that they had it so good, and they, they left, and now those other employees are enjoying all the benefits. But the good news is this company is so successful that the boss, the owner, is always willing to hire on new people. So as that first crop comes back asking if they could have a job there again, he willingly, he gladly hires them. Now, this analogy, of course, limps in, in a really big way in this. When we talk about religion and salvation, work has nothing to do with it. Our status before God isn't dependent on our efforts. So in that regard, this workplace analogy limps. But nonetheless, I hope that it helps us grasp what Paul was saying in these verses from Romans. Uh, just to recap in verses 13 to 14 when he says, Inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy 
and saved some of them. So Paul, Paul didn't just mope around. Paul knew that he was sent to the Gentiles. Remember, he, was, he belonged to the Jewish church initially until he was converted. He could have been moping around and say, I don't want to take this message to the Gentiles. I want to go to my own people, the Jewish people, and let them know and, and convince them that Jesus is their Savior. Instead, Paul celebrated and highlighted that this good news of life and salvation and forgiveness for Jesus was for Gentiles as well. He made a big deal out of his ministry, and his hope in doing so was that his own people uh, of the Jewish faith would be drawn to the same teaching and truth that Jesus is their Savior as well. Just as the owner of the company was willing to take on all people and, and, and treat all of them uh, generously and lovingly. That was, was Paul's point in making a big deal out of his ministry. He realized that, that God's plan was a brilliant one. After the, the Jewish people had turned away from him and, and gone the, the way of the world and didn't want to hear that Jesus was their Savior, God said, then I'll take that message to the Gentiles. I'll hire them, so to speak, as well. And then the hope is that the Jewish people would be drawn to that and then everybody comes back to the Lord and his invitation to free salvation for all who believe and trust that Jesus is their Savior. Now, you might imagine or anticipate that there'd be a place for the Gentiles then to, to be filled up with a little bit of, of pride. To say, hey, hey, you rejected God. Look, he chose us now. He, he, he wants us. We're his, his favorites. And, and so Paul kind of puts that to rest in verses 30 and 31. He reminds his Gentile readers, just as you... Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, the, the Jewish people who turned away from God, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. And, and man could not have come up with a better plan. That's why the, the Christian religion is so unlike any other that God would have this plan to say, first, I am going to start with the Jewish people. I'm going to be their God, their Savior, their Deliverer. But then when they turn away from me, I'm going to make it clear that I actually want all people to be saved. And so I'm going to go to the Gentiles and say, hey, I want to be your Deliverer, your Savior, your gracious God who can assure you that heaven is yours through faith in Christ Jesus. And when I do that, my hope is that all of those who had fallen away of those of the Jewish faith that had rejected their status as God's chosen and treasured people, that they too would be won over. And, and the, the Gentiles are taken or, or given this reminder here, don't get so full of yourselves. Remember that, that you too were disobedient. You were unbelievers as well before God's grace worked in you. And now, through that grace working in you, God says, now the, the Jewish people who have rejected Jesus, they might see that and in their unbelief and, and disobedience be drawn to this teaching of Jesus as Savior of all people as well. And so in this regard, truly, the church is for everyone. Maybe the, the simplest summary of all of these verses, and there's so much to dig in here uh, that, that uh, one, one message, one sermon isn't going to cover it all, but, but maybe the best summary is in the last verse of this section um, that sounds a little bit irrational to us admittedly, but we'll, we'll take a few moments on this. Verse 32, For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. 
God has bound all men over to disobedience. Again, it sounds irrational, illogical. Wouldn't we conclude, wouldn't we say, why would God do such a thing? Why wouldn't he just make everybody believe? Why wouldn't he just automatically save everybody? Here's why, and, and, and I've experienced this, maybe you have as well. Could you imagine if God had chosen that path? If he automatically saved everybody, can you anticipate some people in the world who would say, no, 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 don't you force me to believe in some God. I'll, I want nothing to do with it. What kind of God forces people to believe in and trust in him? So God didn't go that way. Instead, God chose to put everybody in that, that same sinking ship, the, the Titanic of unbelief and disobedience, really. Why? Not because he desires to see everybody sink to the depths that our sin and deserve, but so that he could deliver, so that he could have mercy, so that he could rescue. And when everybody sees that we are all in that same sinking ship of unbelief and sin, no matter how good or bad you think you've been, that, that our sin condemns and, and convicts us and separates us from God and we deserve to sink and be set apart from him forever, then God says, now I can equally have mercy on, on everybody. Now that you'll see there are enough life preservers and lifeboats. There is enough salvation, forgiveness, and grace for everybody to be rescued from that sinking ship of unbelief and sin. So truly, in that God has handed everybody over to sin and unbelief, it wasn't because he wanted to stay separated from anyone, but it was rather so he could deliver everyone. And so church truly is for everyone. And if church is truly for everyone, then it's for you. We have the opportunity uh, on, on this day to, to celebrate a baptism in our in-person worship. And this week we're, we're rejoicing and, and giving thanks to God that we're able to return back to in-person class. So, so that what a great reminder that, that church really is for everyone infants, babies, toddlers, children, those who are growing, their parents, families, all of us, regardless of your status in life, church is for you. I encourage you to stick around over the course of the next several weeks then as we continue to explore why church is for you, what, what church really brings to the table for you, and what role it might have in your life. But for the meantime... Take great joy and comfort in knowing that church is for you. Amen.